eternity.com radio American history part 2 in 1776 Benjamin Franklin warned American patriots that if they didn't hang together they would hang separately as it was more than one lost their fortune and Richard Stockton lost his life as well Abraham Clark's two sons were captured by the British and imprisoned on a ship in conditions that led to quick deaths for many of the American prisoners. Clark refused the British offer to free his two sons in exchange for coming over to the British side. Why did Abraham Clark reject the British offer and risk losing his sons for the cause of freedom? Because like Abraham of old, who was prepared to sacrifice his son in obedience to God, Clark placed obedience to and faith in God above all else and believed that should his sons perish, God would raise them from the dead. He also believed Christ's words, Whosoever believeth in me shall never die. The American Revolution was the outworking of centuries of advancement of the kingdom of God and in particular of a Christian revival in the 18th century known as the Great Awakening. The American Revolution would not have happened without that advancement and revival, much less succeeded. Christian patriots of that time preferred death to a life of slavery and echoed Patrick Henry's words, Give me liberty or give me death. And they took their Bibles seriously. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Come out from among them. For example, come out from among the unbelieving British oligarchy. And be ye separate, that is, start your own country. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land. Ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, selfishness. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. They believed they not only had a right to self-government with religious and civil liberty, but were obligated by God's word to construct a civil government which would protect their lives, liberty, and property, and that of their posterity. They had a vision for the kingdom of God in time as well as for eternity, and fought for the advancement of that kingdom. George Washington ordered the colonial troops to attend church and observe days of fasting, prayer, and thanksgiving. The Reverend Henry Muhlenberg wrote that General Washington rode around among his army and admonished each and every one to fear God, to put away the wickedness that has set in and become so general, and to practice the Christian virtues. In August of 1776, Washington's army was trapped by the British on Long Island and faced certain defeat. Washington ordered an evacuation, and on August 29th, the retreat of the Continental Army across the East River under full moonlight was miraculously undetected by the British. When daylight came, with many of the American troops still remaining on Long Island, a dense fog settled over both camps and remained, 
until the last American troops were evacuated and safely en route to New York. One day in the late winter of 1777-1778 at Valley Forge, Washington's troops noticed a Skykill River boiling with thousands of shad. The fish were making an unusually early migration up the river, and the starving army suddenly had plenty of food. That winter, Baron von Steuben of Prussia volunteered to train the troops, and France became an ally in the American War for Independence. On January 17, 1781, the Americans, led by George Morgan, defeated the British Tarleton's detachment at the Battle of the Cowpens, and irate Cornwallis set off with his vastly superior British force to cut off Morgan's retreat and reach the Catawba River shortly after the Americans had crossed, but halted until morning to continue this pursuit. That night a storm filled the river and delayed his crossing. On February 3rd, he overtook the American troops at the Yadkin River in North Carolina, just as the Americans were landing on the far side, but was prevented from overtaking them by a sudden flood. On February 13th, the Americans crossed the Dan River in Virginia, just a few hours before Cornwallis arrived, who was once again stopped by rising waters. Cornwallis's commander-in-chief, Clinton, wrote, here, the Royal Army was stopped again by a sudden rise of the waters, which had only just fallen, almost miraculously, to let the enemy over, who could not else have eluded Cornwallis's grasp, so close was he upon their rear. Morgan's retreat and harassment of Cornwallis's army led Cornwallis to the sea, and his final defeat at Yorktown, Virginia. British reinforcements never reached Cornwallis at Yorktown, due to the defeat of the British fleet by the French fleet. Under siege by American and French forces, Cornwallis ordered a retreat across the York River. But during the attempted retreat, a violent storm sent the British boats downstream and aborted the retreat, leaving Cornwallis remaining forces greatly weakened in number and essentially defenseless before the combined American and French forces. Cornwallis's surrender to Washington on October 18, 1781, ended the war and secured America's freedom and independence. The following day, Washington addressed the Continental Army. The general congratulates the Army upon the glorious event of yesterday. Divine service is to be performed tomorrow in the several brigades and divisions. The commander-in-chief recommends that the troops not on duty should universally attend with that seriousness of deportment and gratitude of heart, which the recognition of such reiterated and astonishing interpositions of providence demand of us. Many Americans in the generation succeeding the founders forgot God and turned to mammon. In 1842, Charles Dickens noted that, quote, Americans are motivated by money, not ideals. Washington is the home of despicable trickery at elections underhanded tamperings with public officials. I am disappointed." Unquote. One such tampered with official was Abraham Lincoln, elected president in 1860. There is properly no history, only biography. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Often the window to a clear view and understanding of any portion of history is a biography of its leading figures and that is the case with the American Civil War.
Lincoln was a career politician, ostensibly working for his constituents, but in reality working to enrich himself and his donors. His party was that of Hamilton, the Whigs, and later the Republicans, which favored centralization as opposed to the Jeffersonians, who favored a decentralized government that could not encroach upon states' rights. The primary agenda of Lincoln's party was to extract the wealth of most citizens and funnel it into the pockets of corrupt businessmen and their political enablers. They accomplished this under the guise of internal improvements, whereby the self-serving politicians directed unconstitutional government contracts and other favors to bankers and businessmen in turn for campaign contributions and other bribes. This system, dubbed the American system as though it was beneficial to the general public and unpatriotic to oppose, required centralization of power in the federal government. The latter, dominated by northern interests in the decades preceding the Civil War, was exploiting the South by imposing high tariffs on the many manufactured items the South had to import, with much of the revenue from this disproportionate tax winding up in the pockets of northern politicians and their well-connected friends. The American Civil War was not about ending slavery nor preserving the Union. It was about establishing and preserving a strong central government so that the cabal controlling the government could prevent the escape of its victims and continue to extract their wealth. Seven southern states, led by South Carolina, had seceded from the Union by February 1st of 1861 for the same reasons the colonies had seceded from Britain. However, Union forces still occupied Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor. Within two months of assuming office, on March 4th, 1861, Lincoln sent a ship with provisions to the fort for the sole purpose of inviting fire from the Confederate shore batteries so he could blame the South for starting the war. But this ruse didn't fool too many people, so Lincoln simply suspended habeas corpus and had the military or William Seward's secret police arrest and jail anyone opposing his plans to attack the South. Thousands, perhaps as many as 13,000, were arrested and thrown in jail with no warrants, charges, or trial. These included many newspaper editors and a good number of legislators, including a U.S. congressman from Maryland, and the mayor of Baltimore. When Northerners rebelled against conscription in Ohio and Illinois, Lincoln ordered federal troops to put down the riots. In 1863, he ordered the federal army to fire into a crowd of protesters in New York City. Over 1,000 were killed or injured. After that, the majority of Northerners were not jailed or killed, were either cowed into supporting the Union cause or deluded into believing the preservation of the Union was some sort of sacred cause and volunteered to risk their lives for the criminal enterprise. Sullivan Ballou was one of the latter. A 32-year-old volunteer from Rhode Island in the Union Army, Ballou wrote his last letter home to his young wife, Sarah, in mid-July of 1861. If it is necessary that I should fall on the battlefield for any country, I am ready. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. 
I know how strongly American civilization now leans upon the triumph of government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. I know I have but few claims upon divine providence, but something whispers to me, perhaps it is the wafted prayer of my little Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. If I do not, as for my little boys, they will grow as I have done and never know a father's love and care. Little Willie is too young to remember me long, and my blue-eyed Edgar will keep my frolics with him among the dimmest memories of his childhood. Come to me and lead thither my children. Unquote. Unknown to Baloo, who sincerely believed he was fighting to preserve what the Founding Fathers fought for, he was actually fighting against everything they fought for. A week after penning this missive, Ballou was killed in the war's first major battle at Manassas, Virginia, leaving behind a widow and two small sons. For by Babylon's sorceries were all nations deceived. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, heralded as some of the world's greatest and most sublime prose and a milestone for liberty, was unmasked for what it really was by H. L. Mencken. Quote, it is poetry, not logic, beauty, not sense. Think of the argument in it. Put it into the cold words of every day. The doctrine is simply this, that the Union soldiers who died at Gettysburg sacrificed their lives to the cause of self-determination, that government of the people, by the people, for the people, should not perish from the earth. It is difficult to imagine anything more untrue. The Union soldiers in the battle actually fought against self-determination. It was the Confederates who fought for the right of their people to govern themselves. The Confederates went into battle free. They came out with their freedom subject to the supervision of the rest of the country, and for nearly 20 years that veto was so efficient that they enjoyed scarcely more liberty in the political sense than so many convicts in the penitentiary." Unquote. Whether owned by the bankers or just intoxicated by power, Lincoln facilitated the undoing of everything the American Revolution had accomplished, paving the way for two devastating world wars in the 20th century and the dissolution of the country in the 21st. You've been listening to InvestingForEternity.com radio. I'm Donald Crumb.